0: So they're rolling out the red carpet in Ottawa set for the pomp and pageantry of the throne speech. The government, one assumes, praying what's in the speech will make people stop thinking of its problems, like the Senate scandal. That could be a tough sell. The insiders have all ch- tried changing the channel, as it's called, in their partisan past. Kathleen Monk has worked on NDP campaigns. Jamie Watt on conservative ones. And David Hurley has put a few signs in lawns for the Liberals. Now, before I get you talking, I want to show you something. The Conservatives got a new ad out. Uh, it's, it's running uh, online on their website. And this is just 10 seconds of it. Watch this. It's about changing the channel.
1: Now, in this year's speech, we will lay out our new blueprint for achieving prosperity and security through these uncertain economic times. And in the two years since we last presented our priorities to Canadians, our Conservative government has accomplished so much that we can be proud of. We
2: continue to
0: all right. Two things. I had not realized that the red chamber had gone blue. <laughs> I had not. I had not known that. Well, of that, in the
2: full version, of the Canadian flag has gone yes, blue, too. Yes, the Canadian flag <laughs> as well has gone blue.
0: It's interesting. Now, but my question is this. Changing the channel from the very room that is the channel, the Senate, that's a challenge. It's a huge challenge, Peter.
2: And changing the channel is, a, or resetting the odometer. A lot of people say it reset the odometer. I like to think of it more of resetting the trip odometer. The car has still got 150,000 kilometers on it. You can start the trip over again, but you can't go back to, uh, to, to ground zero. It doesn't work.
0: All right. Well, let's back away from this specific example and just talk about the idea of trying to, trying to do a reset. What's the challenge here? What are we actually trying to see
3: accomplished, David. Well, generally, if you find yourself in a situation where an issue won't go away, it's because you have failed to take the advice that we have regularly proffered on this show, which is to, <laughs> which is to get ahead of the issue, right. right, to put out all the facts that are going to come out and to take accountability for that and start the process of working your way past it what 's impossible is when the facts keep coming out differently than they were before, and new facts keep emerging that 's mm. what keeps the issue alive, and that is what has been the government 's problem on this on this file to date so the The first thing when you 're in a situation like this is you know, you have to finally, if you're going to lance this boil, you've got to get ahead of it, and every fact there is, and there still doesn't look like that's happened, needs to get out. Otherwise, people are going to remain more interested in this story than they are in any other story anybody's going to put out there. It's what?
1: true. When you're sitting when you're down, you're trying to change the frame or change the channels. you say. It's because you've been so narrowly focused on scandal after scandal after scandal. So the thing you have to do as a strategist is sit back, take a wider lens view of the situation, kind of survey the political landscape, if you will, and figure out where you want to actually fight your battles and then redirect it there. To use uh, Jamie's uh, metaphor of the car, you actually want to steer the car in the direction that actually speaks to your strengths and hopefully your opponent's weaknesses.
2: I this isn't the first time Prime Minister Harper has changed the channel. If we think back to the last time he prorogued, very controversial decision, but he was successful in coming back with a different focus for his government that he had uh, before that prorogation took place, and uh, get back on his front foot, which was the economy and jobs. One of the things, though, if we look at the really successful changes of channels, they almost always occur during an election. And I'm not sure that a speech from the throne is that powerful a tool to get them changed. Premier Clark changed the channel, but only after the election started. Premier Redford changed the channel only after election started, and of course, famous one i think you can over.
3: actually go further, Jamie. The speech on the throne is a very, very weak communications tool to change the channel a lot. People don't pay attention to them. Yeah. They're full of vague generalities that don't really mean anything. They're read by the governor general, so there's no decent clip out of it. <laughs> and it's, it's just, and when a, you it, pull I mean, when, when the example <laughs> nice you're talking about, Mr. Harper and Mr. Flaherty introduced the biggest budget in Canadian history. That's a channel yeah. changer. Uh, a throne yeah. speech is not a no. channel changer. And, when, and you po-
2: yeah. when you poll a week later, you find people don't even know that the speech took place.
0: Well, tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow may be different. It's going to be interesting to see who's in the room. I think Senator Wallen's <laughs> going to be there. Uh, I don't know about Senator Duffy. It wouldn't surprise me that they're going to be there. They both say they want to stay in the Senate. This is a big day for the Senate. They'll be sitting there. They'll yeah. be on camera. The, I'm sure the director will be taking lots of cutaways of it. Kathleen, um, what do you avoid when you're trying to, let's, 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 keeping it general here, what are you trying to avoid when you're resetting?
1: Well, you want to avoid not acknowledging how bad the problem really is. I mean, that's the first thing you have to be honest with your analysis. I think sometimes seeing the back room, you're like, oh, it's just a small puddle, when in fact, you're up to your neck deep, you know, in problems. So you want to have a clear idea of what your problem is, honestly assess the situation and not sugarcoat it for the leader in terms of when you lay out the propositions of what, you know, what route you can go on. Um, so you're clear about how bad it is and kind of what risks you may need to take in terms of a new direction.
2: I think you really have to only build from strength. I don't actually think you can do a whole bunch about your weaknesses. They exist as they do. So I think you've got to be brutally honest with yourselves and Mm -hmm. your team. What are our strengths and what part of that foundation is strong enough for us to build on to go forward? And you can get too distracted trying to fix all these other problems. I'm not really sure they're fixable under these circumstances, but if you take your strengths, that that the public supports you on and accentuate that, that's where I think you get some traction. David?
3: I think that uh, one of the areas where uh, people run into trouble is is that they, um, after you've taken accountability for something and you want to move on, you have to wait until the public is ready to move on. Time is really more than any strategy, the great healer, in these things, um, and. Uh, You always have people uh, who want to rush what I call the pivot point, where you stop talking about the scandal and start talking about changing the channel and talking about something else. People want to rush that point, and you can't do it. If you think about it in human terms, if somebody's really upset with you about something and you finally say to them, how many times do I have to apologize about this for you? Can't we talk about something else? That's not a winning strategy with that person, and it's no more of a winning strategy in politics.
0: So these are the kind of fights that must take place in the back room when you're trying to do this.
1: Yeah, how much risk do we want to take? How far do we want to go? Do we want to call a public inquiry? Or do we <laughs> want to do something different? Do we want to fire somebody? Um, these are the various strategies. All of the but above. All of the above <laughs> in some cases. But it's interesting because you know political back rooms are made out of you know, the same kind of people that you see on the street, right? So there are, there are people who are bold and brash, but there's also people who are you know, negative Nellies or worry warts. And you need some of those chicken littles in your group to be able to say, hey, this is the worst case Scenario. This is like let's play this out all the way to the end. How bad is this going to be for us? And then, and those are the people that are actually helpful in those scenarios because they can actually, you know, how, how, how bad is it? How how bad, how many risks do we need to take in terms of moving the situation forward?
2: And you've got to figure out how to give the voters a reason to believe in you. So as much as all this political stuff is going and all these machinations are taking place and all the discussions, whose fault and so on, at the end of the day, you know, I don't think governments defeat themselves. I, I think that's a bit wrong. I think governments are defeated when the job that they were hired to do is done and expires. So I think if you've been in power a long time, like the current government has, they've got to come out and they've got to tell Canadians why they should continue to govern. What are they going to do? What can they people believe in? And that's hard to do when, you, when all this other stuff is going around
0: contemporaneously. You know, Kathleen's little point about column inquiry, and she turned to you, <laughs> David, on that. Of course, the reference mm-hmm. to... Um, you know the uh, sponsorship scandal and the decision by Prime Minister Martin to call an inquiry. Can you pull back a curtain for us on that? Was there a you know was there a fight in the back rooms about is this really the right way to go? Do we really want to have an inquiry now?
3: Well, there was an enormous uh, fight about it. Uh, first of all, almost nobody uh, from Quebec was in favor of the maneuver because they knew that or they felt that the inquiry ultimately would damage the brand in Quebec for a very long time. Um, you, um, and listen, this is still an issue that's hotly debated in the Liberal Party and among Mr. Martin's people uh, to this day. I think that over time, the lesson that I've learned from it is that really when you've got a big, terrible scandal, there actually isn't any really good way to do about, to, to go about it. You know, people say, you know, some people say, don't call an inquiry, don't raise the profile of it, leave, you know, leave it to the officials to deal with or to the criminal justice officials to deal with. Well, that's what Mr. Charest tried to do with... Uh, with the construction scandal. Mm -hmm. He was ultimately forced into an inquiry, um, which is the worst way to get into one, and that's why we tried to be proactive about it with Mr. Martin was because then at least you get the benefit of of being the ones that were determined to get to the bottom of it as opposed to being forced to get to the bottom of it. But a highly, highly controversial uh, notion, my personal perspective is that the Gomery inquiry won us the 2004 election and cost us the 2006 election. Yeah,
0: an interesting way it played out over those two different elections. Point to somebody or to a government that handled uh, a reset well, because it's a challenge, and, and yeah. there's no guarantee you're going to be able to pull it off.
1: Very similar situation to what we are in right now, actually, federally. I dial back to 1988, actually 1986, 87. Um, Mulroney was suffering from a number of scandals, cabinet resignations and scandals. Um, was... Very unpopular in the polls, was in third party. Despite having a majority government, uh, the NDP actually was soaring in the polls and well, doing very well in first place. Point, yeah. and, uh, and Mulroney was very strategic um, going into that 88 election. Um, you know, he couldn't have run it on uh, personal popularity or leadership. Certainly not ethics at the time. So he ran it on free trade, and actually it um, it hurt the NDP greatly. Obviously, you know, at one point mm-hmm. Ed, Ed Broadbent was poised to kind of possibly take power. Um, Obviously, that didn't happen. He came in third place. Um, And the NDP got doubly squeezed because by running the campaign on free trade, uh, not only did um, he squeeze the NDP, but also the Liberals squeezed the NDP as well with a strategic vote trap.
2: Jamie? I'd say Christy Clark in uh, the last uh, provincial election in British Columbia, she was very, and her team were very successful in turning that into their strength, their Mm -hmm. front foot, jobs and the economy, and uh, her opponent never, never caught up. I might also say Premier Redford was successful as well, but that'd be a bit yeah. self-indulgent. Yeah. <laughs> <also doing>
3: self-indulgent <laughs> right. um,
0: David, what's your example?
3: I don't think there is a better example uh, than Mulroney uh, 88, because for so long leading up to that election, there was every reason to believe he would lose, uh, and then he won a resounding majority. So it's a, it's a tremendous case study, and to what Kathleen said, I would just add that Uh, He had an opponent rise to the bait. Mr. Turner stood up and said, this is the fight of my life. This is what this campaign is about. And so you had this thing at loggerheads, and so you had conflict. And conflict is what interests people most of all. And so you had all of a sudden this conflict for the ages that made Suzanne Blay-Grenier or Michelle Gravel or all the assorted junior ministers who'd had to resign over the preceding four years seem, frankly, like small ball compared Mm -hmm. to the big interesting thing that was going on. So between Mr. Mulroney's strategy and Mr. Turner's strategy, you had the perfect storm that actually squeezed out the NDP and allowed Mr. Mulrooney to ride over the ethical scandal. I think Mr.
2: Mulrooney also understood stood in such a strategy, in for a penny, in for a pound, right? These things don't work when you go halfway and you still try to do other things. He, he went full bore against uh, that particular uh, messaging, and I think that created the contrast, which created choice, and he was successful. Okay. Got to leave it at that for this week. Very good. Thank you all.
3: Thank you.